Hey everyone, it's Don. Welcome to Don't Worry, I'm Finite, the podcast, episode four. Just a quick intro before we get started today, uh, and a reminder to check out the bonus video from last week I did with Nathan Terry. Nate shows us how he created the theme music to this show, and I think it's super interesting to watch his process. Uh, go over to youtube.com slash don't worry, I'm finite, and subscribe there for updates. Just a hint, you're going to want to watch this week's video. More on that later. Uh, as always, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use, and leave me a review on Apple if you use that. It really does help. Okay, on today's episode with Kristen Lajunas, she's a vegan author, traveler, and now a copywriter, and she's just a wonderful person. Um, I've gotten to know her really well over the last few months, but before we were friends, she was my source online for great vegan food across the country, and a source of very much FOMO as I wanted to be eating all the places she ate. She's traveled the world in search of vegan food, wrote a book about her travels, and so much more. We talk about privilege, nomadic lifestyles, and mental health. Uh, yeah, this episode took some turns I did not expect, and it was a really fun conversation. Let's get right into it. Hey, welcome to Don't Worry, I'm Finite. I'm your host, Don McAvoy. Today, we'll be talking with Kristen Lajunas. Let's go. I'm Kristen Lajunas. Don't worry, I'm Finite. Welcome to Don't Worry, I'm Finite, the podcast where we dive into inspiration, motivation, and an exploration of the creative community. I'm coming at you from the ever-moving studio in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Don, and I'm joined by my guest, Kristen, today. Hi, Kristen. Hello. So, tell us who you are. Who are you? Tell us all about you. All about me? That's, that would be a long story. I'll give you the <laughs> short version. I am a vegan travel enthusiast and copywriter. That is the shortest summation I can give you. <laughs> well, that was shorter than my previous hashtag. That was good. <laughs> that, was, that, that was really concise. Um, we're going to need some more uh as we go along but that was a good that was a good quick little intro <laughs> i've known you from your social media work for quite a few years like probably almost a decade at this point i know you from uh, will travel for vegan food which was a social media project and a uh, and a book eventually so i want to talk to you a little bit about how that all got started you know, why did you get it started? It's a little bit of an activist thing in my mind, but a very friendly activist movement. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about how you got started in that project? Sure. Uh, so Will Travel for Vegan Food came into my brain. It had to be in sometime in 2009 or 10-ish. I was in my first job after grad school. I was living in Boston and I started kind of obsessively reading books and blogs from people that called themselves lifestyle designers. And I found it very intriguing. And basically, those are people who are creating a life around the things that they loved. And I kept asking myself, you know, what is how would I spend my time if I wasn't worried about money or status quo or whatever else? Um, and I kept landing on I think at that point I had been vegan for about five years and I had I'd fallen in love with food. I wasn't really a foodie before becoming vegan, um, but I landed on the fact that I wanted to go out to eat more. I hadn't traveled much in my life at that point. I was in my my mid to late 20s, late, late 20s, I guess. So one day I was on a 
lunch break from work. I was reading a chapter from the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And <laughs> I sat down <laughs> back at my desk, which was in a literal cubicle. I worked at a really great nonprofit, um, but it was a cu- like a cubicle desk job, a nine to five deal. And the words will travel for vegan food just kind of popped into my brain. And I said, mm-hmm. in that moment, I know exactly what I'm going to do. So I emailed my parents immediately. And I said, you guys, I have the best idea. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move into a van and I'm going to try to eat at every vegan restaurant in the country. Boom. That's the thing that every parent wants to hear. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) From their newly uh, minted graduate student daughter in her getting a job during a recession. That's what they wanted to hear. They were going to quit your job. Um, So uh, about a year later, I did. I, I put together a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. I used that money to buy a van. I secured the domains and the social media handles. Instagram didn't exist yet, so I think it was just Facebook and Twitter. Man, that's crazy to think that Instagram didn't exist in 2009. I know, right? Because I think I <laughs> I remember setting up my Instagram when I was on the road, so it was at least a couple years after that. So I guess it was in the fall of 2011, I bought a van, quit my job, sold or donated almost everything I owned, um, and kind of haphazardly set out on on this adventure. And it's interesting now when I look at the van dwellers of today and how popular it is and how fancy their sprinter vans are. And I had this yeah. little Chevy, uh, <laughs> it was called a, a G, it was a G20 sports van. I think it was a, like a 96 or 98 my dad helped me pull the bucket seats out. We put like a piece of plywood in the back. I used that to put some foam for a bed. Mm-hmm. I had a chest for my clothes and that was it. And then I used like a canteen and a go girl to, to pee into in the middle of the night. So anywho, but let me back up. So I, <laughs> I, I was going to say, road. that's not, we don't all as, as travelers and road dwellers, we don't all have sprinter vans that cost a hundred thousand dollars. Part of, you know, part of living on the road is about living frugally. <laughs> like the people who are able to spend $100,000 on a van are not, did not used to be the kind of people who would live on the road. Yeah. I mean, I could see people that if they already know they want that to be their lifestyle, I could see spending sure. a little bit more money. If you have the money, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Or I suppose in some cases you take out a loan like you would for a house, you know, and yeah, use but most it. of the road dogs I've met have been, you know, in the back of a GMC van that used to be for a plumber <laughs> that, you know, like sleeps on an air pad and then goes climbing every day. Yeah. Yeah. I got my van from a wonderfully sweet couple it just happened to be near my parents' house, too, of all places, when I was searching. They would use the van just to road trip to winter, to Florida in the winters. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was kept really well. You know, they didn't drive it in the snow and get all the salt and stuff on it. But anywho, back I will say to what that's I was a life, saying. That's a life pro tip, though. If you're going to buy a used car, buy it from old people because they take good <laughs> care of their vehicles. <laughs> Especially if they spend summers in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I got in the van, headed out, and I spent, I thought it would take a year, and then I'd go back to Boston maybe and, and find another job and another apartment and another boyfriend because I left the one <laughs> the one that I had before behind. You really left everything behind. I did. Well, he wasn't <laughs> interested in joining me, and our relationship had run its course, you know. Uh, we both knew that. So it turned into a t- mostly, basically a two-year-long excursion. I ended up eating at, I think it was... 547 restaurants any place that was that I could find that was 
labeled as fully vegan is where I was headed. The goal was to try to eat at every vegan restaurant in the country, if I didn't mm-hmm. say that already. So yeah, it took me about two years. I I finished that journey. And then I'll take a pause here just in case there's so much more to say. But in case you want to ask specific questions about that. There's a couple of things, actually. So first of all, the kind of people who read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, and then wish that they could do that are they, those numbers have to be much higher than the people who actually like throw everything out and just hit the road and go do what they want to do. Because, you know, I know a lot of people who have read that book and they're like, yeah, that's what I'm going to. And then they continue working there nine to five forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody likes the idea of it. Very few people have the follow through to go do it. So there's a question. There's something I've always wondered, actually, while I was looking at how many of the restaurants you went to were like were, did, did you fund the whole thing did you pay for everything did people like pseudo sponsor you by giving you stuff so you could take pictures of it and post it was a mix of the two things yeah it was a combination of a few things i think i only raised gosh i could go back to the kickstarter campaign now to check uh i don't remember what the total was maybe three or five no it was maybe eight or ten thousand something like that mm. so you know a good chunk of that went to the van and i I severely underestimated how much money it would take to <laughs> dine out for every meal of the day oh, yes. and also put gas in the vehicle as well. And so I did have a few supporters that would check in periodically and say, how's it going? Do you need more money? Which was incredibly generous and wonderful. Yeah, and in fact, that's great. my memoir is dedicated to one of them because he was such an amazing supporter and just a really nice person who just wanted me to see the trip through and and promote veganism um, mm-hmm. by way of that journey. And yeah, it was a combination of some donors that continue to support the trip. When I first started, I was making a much bigger effort to reach out to restaurants and let them know what I was doing and the purpose behind it and that I was going to come to their restaurant and eat at their place. Um, and so the East Coast uh, <laughs> restaurants were periodically sponsoring me because that's where I started. And by sponsoring, I mean, Occasionally, they would offer a free meal. I would never ask for that, but sometimes they would offer it if if they Mm -hmm. saw my email before I came in. Um, And then it got much harder as I kept going to keep that to keep that up, to keep reaching out while writing the blog post, while driving, while eating, you know, all the things. Um, Totally. So that kind of dropped off in terms of my effort to to let people know I was coming, which also meant that I wasn't getting as many free meals. But that wasn't my priority at all. Right, right, um, of course. Although as I met people, other vegans and other travel enthusiasts, or if they heard about my journey, they would often want to meet up for a meal and they would offer to pay. So uh, that's also how I was able to take showers. <laughs> I wasn't quite <laughs> on the, um, I hadn't put in enough effort to know that there you could get like a gym membership and then use oh, use yeah. those places to take showers. So I was really Good old Planet Fitness. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't quite get on that bandwagon or I just wasn't aware of it. So I was really utilizing the support of what was essentially the the vegan community across the country for showers and doing laundry and occasionally mm. a free meal. Yeah. Nice. One quick question. So are you would you consider yourself like a completionist as far as like when you set out to go to every vegan restaurant in the country, and I'm sure you passed places, and then six months later, another one popped up. Did you have like that feeling of like, <laughs> you feel like you wanted to go back or you had to go back? Or did you finally kind of like let that go after you realized how many were popping up in the country? Yeah, I I mean, in my normal mode of operation and the way that I'm very type A and needing to see things through, 
that would normally bother me, but I was so um, overwhelmed by the whole process of what I had created that sure. I didn't quite allow myself to go there. Because I would have people reach out and be like, oh, we just got this new place. And I, you know, I'm on the other side of the country or somewhere else at that point. And so I just had to let it go. So just put it on the list for later. Exactly. So <laughs> and and that's the thing with restaurants in general, vegan or otherwise, you know, they come and go so quickly that it's mm-hmm. you have to just <laughs> I had to let that's it go. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have that with when I when I was traveling a lot for with with breweries like back in the day 10 or so years ago there didn't used to be 10 breweries or 20 breweries in every city it used to be like two or three one mainstay and then two or three little nano brewery startups and I would go and I would go to all three breweries I'd go to the main one and then I'd ask how the other ones were and then I'd go and we'd just try some beers at each one and now you go to a city and there's like 15 and you have no idea where to go so I eventually had to like let go of the idea of being mm-hmm. able to try all this stuff you mentioned that the goal was to go to all of the vegan restaurants in the country but what was the what was the main goal behind it what were you trying to show like what, what were you trying to put out there did you have uh, an idea in mind or something that you wanted to convey to people yeah part of it was that i i wanted to make veganism feel more accessible i wanted to make it clear that you could go out to eat and not die you know starve <laughs> uh and obviously since i was traveling to the vegan food you know that of course made it easier certainly depending on where you're going and if you're traveling to a destination for a reason other than the food, you know, you may need to plan in a different way. But yes, to answer your question, it was my form of activism to talk about veganism, highlight how amazing and diverse the food can be, because I think for a long time and maybe still so there's a, a misconception that it's just salad or that it's bland and boring, but especially how do you get now. Your protein, exactly. Um, how do you get your protein? Uh, but I mean, gosh, it's been... 10 years, almost 10 years since I started that journey. So the arc of veganism and um, plant-based milks and meat alternative, I mean, it's just a totally different world than it was even when I started that trip. For copyright reasons, that's milk with a Y. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You don't want uh, the dairy industry suing you over this singular podcast. (laughs) No. So how how do you think it went? Like, how did you uh, did, did you were you did you have conversations on social media? Was there anything anything that stood out to you that you feel like you had like made an individual difference during your your travel? Mm, no. <laughs> well, let me back up. I did hear from individual people every now and then um, of being inspired to you know, travel or not be afraid to travel because they were worried about the vegan options. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess the narrow focus of what I was doing meant that I was mostly, you know, uh, speaking to the people that were already in it. Um, You were preaching to the choir a little bit? Yeah, but there was a level of awareness around what I was doing because I put out like a small local press release from my hometown when I started and and it did trickle out into getting some interviews. Like I remember this um, foodie podcaster type. She had a radio station on NPR, actually in New Orleans, and she interviewed hmm. me when I when I got there. Um, so that reached a lot more people. And so I think there probably was some ripple effect that I'm not even aware of. I would like to believe that there was. I don't yeah. necessarily have proof of it. I didn't do any uh, documentation of here's how you know here's 
how many people weren't aware of veganism before my road trip versus direct causation of Kristen's trip or whatever. Um, But I would like to believe that, you know, whether inspired conversations between family and friends or got people to, you know, to get out of their comfort zone a little bit, because that's I would say the aside from the vegan activism part, because I'm not really a picketing in front of a circus kind of vegan i'm more of a like let me show you how great the food is vegan Mm because you know we have a wide range of us out there we need both yeah uh so i think if anything the the vegan community that was supporting me i think there was more conversation within and people that were willing to get outside of their comfort zone because when i would also go to vegan festivals or vegetarian festivals to talk about it after and to promote the book that was a result of it. Um, I would speak a lot about the comfort zone piece and the like, you know, doing something different, not just the vegan part of it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm sure that there were some people who were probably on the fence a little bit of, I, I didn't know, I didn't realize how easy it was to go find vegan food in my own area. So I'm, you know, I'm sure you helped with that. I know when I was going out, I was looking at your social media to find out where I could go specifically to go find that food, you know, like finding places in Philadelphia or outside. If, if I was traveling to New York, I definitely have used your social media to find certain places. I'm not sure if that's why I found vegan treats in Bethlehem, but however I found that place, I'm glad I did. because I will uh, <laughs> take credit for that. <laughs> Yes, that's a good one to take credit for because their soft serve is amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did the book come out of out of your travel? Was that a plan from the beginning or did that develop afterward? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I I didn't think I had planned to write a book about it. It certainly wasn't on the agenda. About a year into the trip, I got an email from uh, a guy who said that he had just started, uh, he's vegan, he had just started a publishing company with his wife, and they were looking for people to write stuff. And they said, you know, are you thinking about writing a book about your trip? And I said, no. And they said, if we pay you, will you? And I said, yes. Uh, so uh, so we agreed. Like, I remember signing the contract when I was in Houston, Texas, and I was so excited about it. And we agreed that when I finished the trip, I would start writing the book. And initially, they wanted it to be like a coffee table book of just like pictures of the road and food and interesting places. Mm-hmm. And when they realized how expensive that would be for them to produce as new uh, publisher, as a new publishing company, they asked if I could write a, a memoir. So I Googled how to write a memoir. And that is the short version of how the book came about. But yeah, when the trip ended, I land, I was back in New York. So I kind of had done this kind of snaking up and down the country. And then I beelined back across the country to, to go, get back to the East Coast when I was finishing up. So I remember mm-hmm. being in New York City when I started writing the book. And then Chicago at some point, And then Hawaii when I finished it. We can also talk about how, at some point, how the trip ended up leading me to an ongoing nomadic lifestyle, which I haven't, haven't (laughs) talked about yet. But um, writing the book was one, it's a very privileged thing to say, but it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, And it, it kind of opened up this part of me because I had a few people, you know, editing it and, and, and providing critical feedback that was difficult to, to swallow. And one of those things is actually the privilege element, because I remember one of the editors came back and said, well, you didn't really talk about how you were able to do this because you're white and you have you come from an affluent family and all this stuff. And I, I remember in, in the moment I got really defensive 
uh, because I didn't educate myself or know better at the time. And now in retrospect, I'm thinking, absolutely. Like one of the reasons I was able to leap into quitting a job and just traveling without having a full plan is because I know my parents, worst case scenario, my parents would say you have a place to stay. Like if everything goes to crap, like you can come back home. And I know that not everyone has that. And even though my parents weren't supporting the trip financially outside of maybe the donation they made on Kickstarter as well, and that I was using part of my own savings uh, for that in addition to the, the donations. But that was just another piece of Again, if I got into a bind, they probably would have scraped the money together to help me. And I knew that like in the back of my mind, I knew that was part of it. So I attribute the book writing process to kind of opening up a little bit more to understanding my own privilege as a white woman from a a supportive, loving family that I was able to to do the journey. But anywho, that's an aside. Uh, The book was (laughs) published in April 2015 and... It I is. think it's just to just to take a, a a moment on that though. I think I think it's important to uh, you know to have that introspection about why you're able to do the things you're able to do as a creative in general. Like the creative community community in general is full of people who are privileged enough to be able to just create for a living and have a safety net of someone in their family or just have you know been able to have the privilege to make enough money to quit that job and then pursue their passions not everyone has that and i think it's really important to remember that and make note of it so i think that yeah. wasn't wasn't exactly an aside i think it was an important thing to make note of yeah i wasn't expecting that to to come out but there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the book came out in, in 2015 i can't believe it's been that long ago and um it has only has been the only book i've written <laughs> since then. yeah <laughs> it has continued to be a nomadic lifestyle for you. You've turned that, uh, your, your, your traveling lifestyle for your book or whatever it had, had been from the beginning into a lifestyle that you enjoyed. And it continued to take you to many different places beyond there and to where you are now. So now I'm, I am interested in what that like gap time was between your book and where you are now and, uh, kind of how it informed what you decided to to be doing as a copywriter now? Yeah, I when I started working on the book and I was in New York City, I was subletting an apartment there so I could finish eating my way through that city because <laughs> New York was one that I needed to go back to in order to finish it. <laughs> Always. Always. And <laughs> I remember thinking, I don't I don't think I can go back to the nine to five desk job world. And so kind of in that moment, I started my own business and didn't really know what it was. But I was getting when I finished the trip, I was getting a lot of requests from other vegans who or other people who wanted to travel or live an alternative kind of lifestyle or just outside the norm. And so I started I would get on calls with people and just talk to them for sometimes hours at a time about what I did and how it worked and give them suggestions or we'd brainstorm stuff on whether it was how they could quit their job or a business idea they had. And my my educational background is in marketing communications. So this kind of natural shape uh, or this natural progression started taking shape of instead of just randomly talking to people, I was starting to charge for my time. And that kind of became the business model initially. And I called myself like a 
marketing business development consultant or something. But that (laughs) looked like a lot of different things over the years that followed. But the goal Mm -hmm. was that as long as it was something I could do from the Internet or from anywhere that there was Wi-Fi, then it would allow me to keep traveling around and seeing more places. So that looked like slow traveling while I was writing the book, as I mentioned, being in like New York and Chicago and Hawaii. And I was kind of revisiting the places that I really enjoyed when I was on my road trip. And then when the book came out, I did this 27 city book tour. And that that one, I did figure out how to, I use my own funding and also sponsors from restaurants that were in the book. I said, hey, you're in here. I'm going to be do, you know, going on book tour, would you want to support like a flight to, you know, I don't even mm-hmm. know how I made it work, but I got, <laughs> I got this trip <laughs> sponsored. Um, and that was amazing. So that allowed me of course, to continue traveling on because now I was slowly growing this little business. I was also taking on some freelance kind of marketing and social media work going on book tour. So that was like 2015. And then in early 2016, I learned about a, um, a company called vegantravel.com that was holding a contest for an around the world trip for people who wanted to promote veganism and go out to eat and do like vlogs about what they were doing. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is basically what I had been doing on a smaller scale. Yeah. So I applied and long story short there, I did um, end up going on an eight month long solo around the world trip in 2016. And then when I got back to the US, I just well, I crashed a little bit. I was exhausted. It was kind of like from the fall of 2011 through January 2017-ish. It was nonstop doing something, writing a book, going to the next destination, making a video for the sponsored travel. There was just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So um, so I kind of crashed a little bit emotionally, physically. Well-deserved. Well <laughs> <laughs> and I was also, to be transparent, I was like, what the F am I doing now? Like, you know, the, the road trip is over, the book is done, uh, the sponsored trip is done. I'm making very little money from my business because I was ke- treating it like a side hustle, so to speak, versus right. a proper business, right? So there was a couple years there where I just felt a little lost and floating around. I was still, I was starting to get some like pet and house sitting gigs around the the country. So I was going to do those and just haphazardly working on stuff and then actually flew into Vegas um, when I got back in January 2017, I believe it was, Um, Mm -hmm. and then spent a few days there kind of decompressing and then went back to New York where my parents are. No place to decompress like Las Vegas. (laughs) I know. know. Well, I was staying with some friends that fortunately did not live anywhere near the strip. So, you know, there wasn't (laughs) that type of energy around, but yeah, no locals live anywhere near the strip. They know better. Yes, exactly. Unless maybe it's their profession to work on the strip. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, then I headed back to New York and I was staying with my parents to more realistically decompress. And that's when I fully kind of crashed. I don't know if you have people in your life that when you're around them, you can just completely like you don't have to worry about being on or showing up. And as soon as I got to my parents' house and the house that I grew up in, essentially, um, I just I think I slept for day for days. Uh <laughs> completely was just out of it. And um 
And I was having a little bit of an identity crisis at the time, too, I think, because, you know, I had kind of checked off some of these things that I didn't even know I wanted to do in my life, like this around the world Mm -hmm. trip and and writing a book and going on a book tour and creating a lot more content than I thought I would or could do. Like I kind of learned how to vlog and use YouTube and all that stuff as I was doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know what I was going to do next. I mean, I had built up this relatively substantial audience uh, through social media that had been following my journey. I was very loosely, you know, having the side business that I treated like a side business and not a proper full on company. You know, even though I I said, oh, I'm self-employed and all of this, I still was taking freelance jobs and kind of making money, however, made sense remotely. So, yeah, I, I ended up kind of sticking around the Northeast, more or less, I was getting some pet and house sitting gigs around there, um, just to kind of fill time, pick at work, and have a little bit of a meltdown about what I was doing with my life, because I had zero dollars, pretty much. And, um, and all this stuff that I had done, you know, that I, it was almost like, um, I was in a mourning period of, wow, I lived so much of my life (laughs) already. And I'm, you know, in my early thirties or mid thirties by that point. And like, what the heck am I going to do now? But I ended up making my way back over to Vegas. Um, at the end of 2019, I, a friend of mine invited me to come try to live in a tiny home community out there. So I lived in an Airstream for a month in December, 2019. (laughs) In theory, it was really cool. And you would think as someone who lived in a van for two years, like it would be fine. But wait, what month was this? December. Oh, okay. At least it wasn't like August. That's good. Right. Yes. And the airstreams in this little space did have like heat and air conditioning, air conditioning. and stuff like that. Oh, okay. That's good. Okay. But yeah, it's also when I realized how cold it actually gets in Vegas too in the wintertime. The desert gets cold. It does. <laughs> but I, within a week, I quickly knew that my introverted self didn't quite fit in a, a community that was literally that close to one another. Um, yeah. I got to the point even where I would wait to listen for if I could hear people outside of my trailer. And then when they would leave, I would I would leave and like go work at a coffee shop or something like that's how anxiety inducing it was to be around people that were just always ready to chat and hang out. And um, (laughs) I mean, on one hand, double edged. Yeah, exactly. On one hand, it was cool. It was like full of people that were doing cool things in Vegas and, you know, building businesses and having influence on developing out kind of part of parts of downtown. Mm -hmm. But anywho, I decided to stay in Vegas nonetheless, um, because I didn't know where I wanted to go. And I have some good friends there that I always feel really inspired from when I hang out with them. So I found an apartment, stayed for a little bit. COVID started happening. At the same time, I started losing clients through the the marketing company that I was loosely creating. And so, uh, again, very isolated, kind of having a little bit of a crisis of what am I doing with my time and how am I going to make money and I'm living alone and, you know. Right. But then this interesting thing happened where as I was losing clients in this kind of first iteration that I had of my business, although it did change a lot over the course of the eight years or whatever that I sort of had had it, um, I started mm-hmm. getting a lot of organic inquiries for more writing work, um, editing things that people were writing, helping people with their resumes and LinkedIn profiles because people were 
losing jobs or trying to get new jobs during this new transition and the pandemic and all of that. And so at some point, something switched in my brain. I decided to double down on building out what has essentially become a copywriting agency, a small one. And here we are a year and a half later, almost two years, and it's going really, really well. Um, But before I keep blabbering on about random work stuff, I will pause in case (laughs) you want to ask anything or jump in. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a couple of things you brought up that I'm that I'm, I want to uh, dig into a little more. It was it more of an artistic community or was it a business community that you lived in in Las Vegas? It was kind of both. OK. Yeah, there were it was a mix. There were maybe 30 people that lived in this tiny home community. And it was a mix of airstreams with, you know, kind of like what you might traditionally think of as a tiny home, like a wooden, you know, okay. small structure. And some were families, some were individual people, and they had this one common area with a bigger kitchen and a co-working space. And I actually mm-hmm. met Joseph Gordon-Levitt there, which was very exciting. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's very in- inspiring to me in, in many ways. But so what was it like living in like that artistic community as far as inspiration and collaboration with people um, versus moving to a place by yourself and then going all in on, on your business uh, in a single space? I mean, I again, I think because I'm more introverted than I even realize sometimes, like in one-on-one situations, I'm good. But being surrounded by people that were very social, it made mm-hmm. it so that I wasn't really participating as much. Like I, I would prefer, mm-hmm. I would keep myself in my Airstream or I would try <laughs> to exit quickly to go somewhere to work or something during the day. Yeah, it's a tough to answer that question because I did go to a couple of the, they would have like bands come in and play stuff, play music. They would have parties mm-hmm. quite frequently, which was also part of the the barrier for me because I'm an early to bed person and I also get up pretty early. And so having, you know, a band playing 20 feet from where you're sleeping until 2 a.m. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was cool, right? Like I, there were some, some there were some cool things about being there. I mean, I, I got to meet, a few celebrities. And um, I guess I should back up and say that one of the reasons that was possible is because the tiny home community um, on Fremont Street in in downtown Vegas was started by, and that whole area was being built out by Tony G, who was the CEO of Zappos. May he rest in peace. He... I have bought bought their shoes and I have seen the container park on yeah. on Fremont Street, which I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, a few years ago, he started investing in that area of downtown and then built out this tiny home community. And I think he actually started building a similar one in Denver um, before he died last November. He died in like mm-hmm. a freak fire accident, like visiting his family, I think, back on the mm-hmm. East Coast. And he was in it like not even 40, maybe or early 40s. He was quite young, um, but he was a really cool guy. I met him twice the whole even though he lived on the premises (laughs) he was also a bit socially awkward which I found interesting because he liked these you know developing these communities but I still remember running into him one night and I think he was maybe a little tipsy or something and he hugged me but then very quickly realized that I wasn't the person he thought he was and that's the only like proper interaction I had with him. He was like, hey, oh, uh, like mid hug. It was very awkward. Um, But anywho, back to the story. (laughs) To answer your question, I don't think I took full advantage of being in a creative entrepreneurial community because my anxiety was so high about having to be social all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And not that anyone was putting pressure on me to 
be that way. But I was also there for what they called like this winter camp trial period where if you enjoyed staying and if the community also liked you, then you could choose to stay and then you just like pay rent like you would anywhere else. Okay. With the perks of, you know, living in this kind of social environment. Um, So probably no surprise that I did. I opted out of staying, but I just (laughs) moved essentially across the street in a really nice apartment complex. And then COVID happened. So and then do you find that you kind of uh, thrived more in like your like a single apartment like by yourself? Did you like did you find that you like took advantage of that time and really kind of built out the business even more? Yeah, I think that ended up happening just because I had nothing else to do. Like we were in lockdown and it was very eerie because in those first few weeks, the the area of Vegas that I was in was already, you know, you go around one corner and it was a little sketchy and then another corner, it's like fully gentrified. So it was an interesting space to be in. But the all of the stores, bars, restaurants literally boarded up their windows mm-hmm. when we went into COVID lockdown. Like they were preparing for people to try to steal stuff, I guess, to break in, whatever. So the level of isolation got to a point that was like, whoa. And it was kind of, I had two choices. I could either, I don't know, flee back to my parents and be with other people during this scary time, um, which I was too afraid to like touch things or leave anywhere, get on a plane. Right. So like that wasn't happening. Or I could just figure out how to maintain my mental health and focus on something productive while also, you know, experiencing this collective like trauma that was basically happening globally. So yeah, it kind of turned from I'm alone and depressed and probably anxious because of what's happening in the world to how can I channel this energy? And so I started focusing on building out this new business essentially, and also developing better kind of daily routine stuff. Like I started doing yoga every morning in the, the early days of lockdown. And what are you at? Day, day 550? Yeah, it's gotta be. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was what a <laughs> month or month and a half ago that I hit day 500, which was cool. So I've been doing that every day. Yeah. And um, between that and being in one place, which, you know, I had never really committed to staying anywhere for, for any given period of time before, well, I said, let me back up to like, I, so I was in Vegas, right? And then, I don't know, toward the fall, it was like September 2020, that I made my way over to where I am now, where we're talking from is Flagstaff, Arizona. So between Vegas and Flagstaff being in relatively one place for almost two years now, yes, to answer your question, has, has got, gotten me to the point where I'm focused primarily on building this business learning the craft, scaling, all of that stuff. Yeah. And you've, it seems like you've really like found your like routine in some ways, or at least your routine that you're able to kind of schedule your, your stuff, batch your meetings and kind of do what you need to, to kind of get, get things done in, a, in an efficient manner. So is, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you, how you go about scheduling your week, how you go about like putting things together, if you have anything that you think is, uh, really helped you to kind of do that and, and, and be efficient? Yeah, it's nothing super fancy. I, I use <laughs> um, my Google Calendar to schedule meetings, pairing that with, um, I have a, a Zoom account as well, and then a Calendly, which helps with kind of automating some of those pieces. I can send a client a Calendly link that shows them my availability. So if I want to keep meetings <laughs> on certain days of the week, they only 
get to choose between whatever they see on the calendar, right? X number of oh, days nice. and times of day. So you can really customize and you could set it for 15 minute meeting, two hour meeting, however long you want, um, which makes it nice. And it gives the person you're scheduling time with the sense of like, oh, I've got some flexibility or control in, you know, in this too. Like you're not mm-hmm. just giving them times and then and the nice thing about Calendly is you can integrate things like Zoom and your Google Calendar. So once they book, your calendar gets updated, the Zoom link gets auto-populated and sent to the person. Um, oh, great. So that saves a few steps of like manually setting up the Zoom link and putting it on your calendar and sending them the email, all those things. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the pieces that's become really nice, uh, the Calendly uh, tool. Other than that, I just have kind of a notes app on my desktop that I put my daily kind of schedule and task list on. I like kind of crossing things off, if you will. So as I make it through my day and I can delete something or cross it off, that always feels nice. But I think I'm still at the point in my business there. It's small enough yet where there aren't like so many moving pieces that I need a lot of different systems yet. I mean, it is growing. Mm -hmm. I do have like someone who's coming to like a business manager position um, to help me figure out how to continue to scale, get bigger paying clients, you know, and manage that time better. But I think the primary tools I'm using now are really just Calendly, Zoom, Google Calendar, and then the notes app on my desktop. That's pretty much it. That's great. I mean, I, I I think even just the Calendly tip is a is a good thing to know about. I think I I could I could very much use that to like make my scheduling a little more efficient for meetings like this. So that's good to know. I'll definitely uh, check that out. Have you brought any of the things from uh, your van life time to like to your business? Like, is there any anything you learned during that time that you've been able to like translate into uh, business uh, acumen? Yeah, actually being a kind of a lifelong type air. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things that van life taught me and even the global trekking and all of that was just this, uh, the need to be able to let go of stuff, you know, <laughs> like not just physical stuff. I mean, things you can't control, other people that come in and out of your life that may or may not be well suited for you, right? Like these things that you know, growing up and, and, and feeling like I needed to be kind of a straight A student and on my all, you know, be the best person, whatever, which we can get into the psychology of that maybe another time, but like where that stems from, but not only getting rid of physical possessions and having a home base over the last decade leading up to now, I think that has translated into my business work as, you know, not holding on to if someone has an issue, you know, with the work that you're doing, or they, I don't know, things that crop up where it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. There is a level now where I can let that go, or it doesn't affect Mm -hmm. me for as long of a period of time, because I've learned that, you know what, you can't control everything. And so just let it be, you can have your moment of like venting, whatever you need to do, cry it out, and then, you know, pick up and keep going. And I think that was a big lesson from my van dwelling days. That's great. And that sounds and that sounds like you've kind of come to a really healthy place. And that was like that was a good thing for uh, for you to kind of go through and learn to be self-sufficient and also just allow things to kind of roll off when you need to. (laughs) 
I know it's something that you get into a lot as well, at least on, on social media, is uh, mental health as as what do you feel like that your ability to get over some of your introversion and anxiety keeps you like wanting to help other people go through that, you, you know, who are still going through that. And is there anything that you kind of uh, lean toward that is helping helping you still get through it on a day to day basis? Yeah, I think part of the reason that I try to proactively share other people's posts certain things about mental health related topics is because well a few things one a good chunk of my clients are therapists and I think I've learned a lot from writing their copy like just learning about psychotherapy and psychiatry through the lens of a therapist and then needing to frame that content to speak to the person who may be needing that support, right? So that alone has has opened me up to wanting to be able to talk about it more, but also just normalizing conversation around mental health. I think for especially the generation above us, like boomers, if you will, um, I think there's a bit of a stigma around getting therapy or talking about having struggles, whereas millennials and younger are much more open to talking about that and, and acknowledging mm-hmm. if they have you know, anxiety or depression and and things like that. So I think I fall into that category of people. It's just trying to help normalize the conversation. Also, the clients I work with help help me want to talk about it more. And then, of course, for my own mental health, too. I mean, I definitely experience things like seasonal depression or I can go through highs and lows like anyone does, whether it's related to external stuff or just you don't know sometimes why you wake up feeling crappy and that's okay too. Um, so yep. being able to talk about it in a way that's like, Hey, you're not weird or stupid for having these things because I feel this way too. And a lot of people do. So I don't know that I'm really answering your question, but I think it comes no, from a place of who I work with, where I'm at personally, and just wanting to help mm-hmm. bring more of that conversation about. Sure. I, I think there's definitely uh, like a, a big overlap in the Venn diagram of like mental health, and veganism and artists there's a big you know section over there that all intersects in a way that i think we're we're all very open to wanting to have these conversations about mental health and saying like it's okay to feel this way you know the tropes of the you know tough it out and don't talk about it and suck it up and be a man and all that kind of bullshit Mm -hmm. is not like that's not helpful and it's not useful and we're seeing it more and more and i think the anxiety of daily life when it comes to finances and making a living and housing and then, you know, every other little thing that we see online every day that makes us anxious. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's important that we talk about those things and make it okay to have conversations and not hide who we really are. Mm -hmm. And I think that manifests in creating art and creating building a life around things that we love, mm. which is something that you're very much doing as well. And like, you're trying to make a, a difference through the the work that you're doing and make sure that you're working with people who are proactively doing good things for the the world and the community. And I think that's really uh, admirable that you're like channeling your, you, you know, your work into something like that. Thanks. Now that you're your own boss, basically, or I kind of was having a conversation with Nathan about this, about how being your own boss can be challenging in so many ways to like make yourself get out there and do the work. Um, 
how, how do you find the balance between like being your boss and making yourself work, but also giving yourself free, you know, time to be free and, you know, make sure you take your mental health todays and your mental health times when you, you have the opportunity. It's, it's hard. I won't lie. It can be very challenging. And I think there's this interesting tipping point where as you're getting started, especially in like solo entrepreneurship, like you're doing all the mm-hmm. things yourself, right? You haven't built up a team or you can't uh, allow other people to pick up the slack, essentially, right? You can't give something to other people yet to do. There's a point where there's like kind of this, and maybe this is just for me too. I'm guessing not though. Like there's this overwhelming wash of almost procrastination because you don't know exactly how you're supposed to be spending your time. And so you find other things to do, or you might spend your time in ways that aren't as uh, important for the business, you know, like doing the client work versus doing outreach, networking, marketing, right? You're wearing all the hats. And Mm -hmm. then it gets to a point where as, as you continue to chip away at that and get to a point in your business, which I feel like is kind of where I'm at now, where it's growing enough that there's, there's still a lot of things to do, but I know how to focus the time because if I don't do the client work and if I don't do the marketing, then I'm letting my clients down and not getting potential referrals or good reviews. And then I'm also not getting new prospects because I'm not doing right. So you move from kind of this place of how do I spend my time? I have kind of very little to do, but also all the things to, wow, there's even more maybe to do now, but because there's more, I can shuffle things around and figure out how to better manage my schedule. As you mentioned earlier, you know, and you've witnessed this too, as my friend of me, like moving my meetings to one or two days a week so that I can use the other days to do client fulfillment or outreach prospecting, things like that. And that's been a huge game changer in just dedicating certain days to certain things. And that way there's less guilt of like, how should I be? I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Instead, it's, I am, you know, committed to X, Y, Z each day. And then back to your like other part of your question, it's okay, but when do you take a break? (laughs) Right. And so for me, part of it has been having people in my life that are willing to be like, let's go hiking or do something else, which has been great. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, I'm, I'm relatively introverted. I don't go out and socialize much. So if it's not a close friend that happens to live nearby, it can be a little more challenging. I did recently see an Instagram post. I don't remember who it was from. I might've actually shared it with you that someone said they commit to, let's say, three projects a day. And whether that takes them two hours or 10 hours, they get that those projects done. And then they take intentional time off, like even if it's just the rest of the day or the next day. And so that way there is like intentional downtime so that your body and mind has time to recover. And that's something I'm still kind of practicing and trying to do because, again, as the type air who had a decade of like, go, 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 travel, create content, do all the things, try to sort of make money and just always having something to do. This is a new feeling for me to not only have a busy business situation, but trying to honor my mental and physical health, right? So initially I was balancing that through the daily yoga, um, which Mm -hmm. I'm still doing, but I, I definitely need to do more than just, you know, 30 or 60 minutes of yoga every day. There needs to be no screen time for a while. I need to be moving my body more. So I guess that, that proves what I was, cause I was about to say, yeah, you got to take like that two hours and watch (laughs) for just that whole time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, have some just like brain dead time where you can laugh and do nothing. Um, but yeah, I'm still I'm still perfecting that part of it. You know, I, I there's part of me that feels like my business is, is at a point where I I should be willing to do whatever it takes to you know get it to a point where I'm not having a fluctuating income every month, which is still very real. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of me is trying to say, but you you can't do that. You can't keep building if you don't have a clear mind and if you don't feel good. So it's definitely yeah. kind of an ongoing thing for sure. It's it's totally a hard balance. And I find, I mean, I'm, I'm so used to always kind of being on the go that when I have like downtime, I feel myself feeling guilty for not working on something, editing something, being outside and running or doing something active. And I have to like, I've been trying to actively make myself be okay with like taking relaxing time because I do, my mind is always on Mm -hmm. what I should be doing instead. Yeah. (laughs) So taking like a full day to do nothing and relax is, uh, has been helpful to me to like, just tell myself I'm not doing anything. And then I know I don't have to spend my time in, you know, not enjoying that relaxation while I'm actually should be relaxing instead of thinking about the stuff I would be doing instead. Yeah. So that's been good for me. And But it's a hard it's a hard thing. I feel like I always work better when my calendar is completely mm-hmm. full. Like I have a hike in the morning and then I have to work on something. And I'm meeting somebody and then we're going out mm-hmm. in the evening and go to sleep and do it again. You know, like that's kind of what ship life was like. You're working all the time. And when you're in port, you go out and you're doing something all the time. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I feel like I thrive in those conditions because I, I work best in moment with momentum mm-hmm. <laughs> like because if my momentum stops and I'm on the couch, then I'm just on the couch. Right. <laughs> but if I, and I have a hard time getting up, but if I get up and go, then I can go forever. Yeah. Um, it's a hard, it's hard to find the balance of up and down and mental relaxation as well as physical relaxation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's not the same for everyone. We all have things that are more relaxing or that we would enjoy that other people don't. Right. So I think it's, Mm -hmm. it, it makes me think of a conversation I had with one of my clients recently, who's in the kind of leadership for CEO space sort of thing. And she was talking about, you know, how do we how do we keep that momentum going? Like, what does that mean? Or how do you know how you should be spending your time or feeling that energy to keep going? And we talked a lot about, you know, it's just kind of taking, like doing anything, like whether you're intentionally choosing to sit on the couch and watch Schitt's Creek, or you're intentionally choosing to commit to two hours of work, right? It's, you just have to be taking the action no matter what end of the spectrum it's on. And as long as it feels intentional and not a result of avoidance or, you know, guilt, um, then it becomes much more easier to manage that time because you're setting kind of the expectation to how you quote unquote should feel, you know, about the thing that you're doing. That's great. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful way to say it. I think that's, that's great. Um, I was actually going to ask you if you got any good advice. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> As we wrap up, uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions. Uh, first of all, is there uh, anything or anyone, any music, books, or anything, blogs that are inspiring you right now that you could uh, recommend or shout out? So this is very specific to um, the work I'm doing in copywriting, but I'm a little obsessed with this copywriting podcast, which mm-hmm. is not, I mean, I think anyone in any industry could benefit from it because they basically interview business owners, right? They happen to be copywriters, mm-hmm. but they talk about a lot of different things within running a business or how to scale. Um, it's called the Copywriter Club, 
podcast. They also have a very robust Facebook group. And the two people that run the podcast are really interesting characters kind of on their own. So that's hmm. that's my most current. And actually, for the past year, really, I've been keeping up with their content because I, I learn a lot. And they have people at different um, levels of business ownership. Like some are just starting out. Others are a decade into their career. So that's that's at the top of my list at the moment. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. You you have the benefit of having been asked this question before. Uh, so maybe you already have your answer queued up. But how do you want to be remembered? I've never been asked that question before. I'm pretty sure I asked you on the first time we did this when we were sitting on the floor. <laughs> well, clearly, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's such a heavy question only because I may change in the next I will change in the next decade and so the impact I want to leave behind could very well be different but I think if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow I would want people to think of me as someone who prioritized compassion and and like gentle activism and by that I mean you know through talking about food and mental health not through like choking it out of someone like you must be, go vegan or you must you know, vote Democrat or whatever. Right? Like it's yeah, that's that's probably not a good a good way to to get your point across. And I think in reflecting on it more, I, I I've been assigned by many people this um, label of being courageous, and I think for a long time I didn't acknowledge or embrace that, but I have come to to accept that a lot of what I've chosen to do in the past decade or so did take kind of blind courage in a lot of ways. So I think those would be the big takeaways like today that I'm courageous, compassionate and use gentle activism to create change. I think courageous and compassionate are two words I would definitely use to describe you. Oh, so thanks. that's great. <laughs> and I think it's just uh, noble that you that those are the things you would like to be remembered for. And you've actually put your money where your mouth is as far as uh, like kind of building your life that way. <laughs> So, uh, and on the topic, on that topic, uh, we are doing a giveaway for uh, two copies, two signed copies of your uh, your book, Will Travel for Vegan Food. So I just want to put that out there now. Uh, all the information will be on social media on how to do that. Uh, it's going to be some simple follow and share kind of stuff. So if you're listening to this, go over to our so social media at Don't Worry, I'm Finite, and there will be information on how to get yourself a signed copy of Kristen's book. I want to thank you, Kristen, for taking all of your time <laughs> several times to do this. <laughs> and uh, where can we find you on the interwebs? Sure. If you'd like to learn more about my vegan travel stuff, you can check out willtravelforveganfood.com or over on Instagram. It's at WTF vegan food. And if you're interested in the copywriting side of things or just like dancing stuff, because I dance a lot uh, publicly, <laughs> um, you can check out <laughs> KMLcollective.com for the copywriting. And then my Instagram, personal Instagram is at Kristen, that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-L-A-J. Awesome. Uh, and if anybody's uh, searching through your social media, I recommend uh, going and finding the Austin Powers dance. Uh, <laughs> that is a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> if anybody wants to find me online, you can find me at uh, Don't Worry, I'm Finite on Instagram, at Don is Finite on Twitter. And uh, you can find all the information about upcoming episodes, www.don'tworryimfinite.com. Uh, I'll be posting bonus content on my YouTube channel as well every Friday. 
And new episodes of this will come out every Monday. So uh, I want to thank Kristen again for being here. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, Before we go, I would like you to uh, say your name and the name of the show. If you remember the name of the show, that's the best part for me. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking about when I saw people doing the the little clip. So it's just my full name and don't worry, I'm finite, right? You don't have to say and, just say... Okay. Yeah, the and the end has been editorialized and added in. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kristen Lajeunesse. Don't worry, I'm finite. Perfect. All right, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Keep being creative, and I'll see you next time. Bye. They can't see me waving. <laughs>